Welcome to the Conversations with Commerce Next podcast. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Commerce Next and presented by Comex. On this episode, meet John Hazen, the Chief Digital Officer at Boot Barn, a West Coast-based specialty store retail powerhouse. John describes his journey to working within a retail-first brand, appreciating the cultural differences in any organization to be truly successful. Next, John talks about his deep attachment to ensuring a seamless shopping experience for his customers and the journey at Boot Barn to keep the focus and understand the power of their stores and the force multiplier that a well-architected digital strategy must become. I had no idea what I was doing when it came to digital. He said, hey, you want to get into e-commerce? Can you help us build this thing? Your answer should always be yes and try and figure it out. Um, You know, you want to take those opportunities when they show up. That's when the good stuff happens. When someone turns and says, hey, we need help with this. You want to get involved. Um, So don't say no. Don't, you know, take a risk. And even if you don't know how to do it, try to figure out how to solve that problem, right? That may not work in aerospace or architecture if you're building buildings, right? So don't take that forward. (laughs) But in digital, the beauty is we can always correct our mistake. John Hazen, welcome to Conversations with Commerce Next. Um, I've known you for a number of years, so I'm excited to talk to you. Um, uh, You are perhaps one of the coolest guys in e-commerce, certainly like looking at your LinkedIn page. You got skateboarding. It looks like you're at the uh, the wave camp uh, or something like that as a surfer. So uh, that's very cool. So nice to have you with us today. Looking forward to talking about you, about your career and what's going on at Boot Barn and a few other things. Absolutely happy to be here. Yeah, I, I sometimes I uh, get a little bit of ribbing about some of those photos, but I can still, still skateboard. And that was at Kelly Slater Surf Ranch, which was one of the coolest things I have done in a long, long time. I'll probably use that one as the next icebreaker at uh, our next event that I go to with you, Scott. But that, that was a, an amazing time. That was kind of recently in the last couple of months. Uh, and I'm here with uh, my podcasting co-host, Michael LeBlanc. Uh, up, uh, you're, I assume you're up in Toronto today. I am, and and off mic. And if you're watching uh, little excerpts, uh, a fellow Habs fan. Are you born and raised in in uh, Montreal? Yeah, I was the Montreal born area? and raised in Montreal on the West Island. Grew up delivering the Montreal Gazette for many many years as a kid in the Montreal winters, and uh, was a Habs fan since a young age. And have uh, one of each of the Montreal form seats here in my office in California. That was going to be my next question. Where are we finding you today? You're, so you're on the West Coast. We are in Irvine, California. So I live in Huntington Beach. Boot Barn was founded in Huntington Beach, which most people don't know. And uh, we're based here in Irvine at our store support center where we support our 300 plus stores. So fantastic. So you've landed in a, in a place that has very similar weather to Montreal. <laughs> so congratulations. Totally. I'm, sure you, I'm sure you look for that. You know, we, we like to talk careers here at Conversations with Commerce Next and I, you know, be, I think it'd be great to hear your professional, your digital professional journey and, uh, and maybe segue into, you know, what your role currently, uh, encompasses at Boot Barn today. Sure. So I started in, uh, in IT traditional, uh, management information systems as it was known way back when, uh, in Montreal, my, my uncle and my aunt who were my mentors were CTOs, uh, at the time at Abbott labs and Avon. And so I started working on a help desk and as an AS 400 operator, uh, right in the early, early days of the internet. Always knew I wanted to move to California because of my passion for skateboarding and surfing, uh, recreationally, not professionally. Jumped in a car and, and, and came to California in early 99. And um, I was waiting for my work permit to come through and got a side job working in the apparel and footwear industry for seven bucks an hour 
entering EDI orders uh, for a Missy company called Democracy Clothing through uh, a friend. And um, that's an, a shout out to Susie Hart if she sees this. She was the one who gave me that job. And that's how I kind of fell into the fashion business. And uh, they had never had a cost sheet in Excel. You know, everything was kind of done by hand. They didn't have emails or, or even a website back then. Again, this was early 99. So that was how I kind of fell into the fashion business. And, and it's where I've spent most of my career. Um, I made the jump to e-commerce. Uh, another shout out to Bob Hurley, who founded Hurley. Uh, in roughly 2006, um, Nike owned Hurley at the time, and um, Bob stopped me on a skateboard in the parking lot at Hurley where I was working in IT and said, we need someone to figure out how to take us direct-to-consumer. Um, Nike, of course, always been focused on direct-to-consumer for many years, uh, told Hurley we had to go direct-to-consumer, and, and Bob tasked myself, and uh, Nike brought down Mary Beth Lawton, and we figured out how to take Hurley direct back in 2006, and that's how I fell into e-commerce. Awesome. Yeah. So, so fast forward to today, your chief digital officer at Boot Barn. You know, tell us about. Well, m- maybe start with like not all of our, everyone in our audience wears cowboy boots. I would assume, but maybe they will once you uh, you get through to them. But um, yeah, maybe like just help us understand first. You know, who is Boot Barn? You know, what's the the, the market you're after? The where do you sell? You know, what are some of the differentiators? Um, and then maybe, you know, transition into your role sure. there. So, Scott, we're getting a little closer to you. We opened in Cherry Hill, New Jersey last week. So we, we've got a store in New Jersey now. But Boot Barn was founded in Huntington Beach. And, and the, the Western business, the work in Western business was very fragmented for, for many years. And now we're the biggest retailer in the space. We did about a billion and a half dollars last fiscal year. We have roughly 315 stores right now, and we sell cowboy boots, workwear, and kind of outdoor slash country apparel. So we have really four segments. We have our traditional Western customer who's riding horses and working on a ranch. Uh, We've got our work customer who works in oil or construction or agriculture. Uh, We have our fashion customer, think, you know, uh, women uh, going to stagecoach. And then we have our, our customer segment called Just Country, which is a guy who drives an F-150, who maybe wears a cowboy hat, um, enjoys cowboy boots, but doesn't wear them every day functionally, but kind of lives that lifestyle, listens to country music, uh, drives a pickup truck, that sort of customer segment. So those are our four major customer segments. Uh, we sell work in Western wear, you know, brands like Carhartt, Ariat, uh, Pendleton, um, to to uh, both men and women, a little more men than women, uh, but uh, both both genders and uh, do about a billion and a half dollars in, in work in Western wear across the U.S. We're working our way into the Northeast uh, now, opening, we have stores in Delaware, in Philadelphia, in New Jersey, more states to come. Uh, biggest states, of course, are California and Texas as you would expect. Um, but we're in about 40 states now. You know, as, as, I, as I look at your site, is there a, a segment out of those four segments that's growing? I mean, if I looked at your homepage randomly today, uh, it looks more like the fashion segment than any others. Is, the, is that a, a purposeful or is it a rotation? Is there one segment that, that rises above the others? Or No, fashion is actually, you know, we, we get this question a lot around, you know, do you guys have a fashion risk? I mean, we're not a swimwear company, right? But uh, fashion for us, one of our, is, is our smallest segment. Um, again, it's, it's really uh, female, only female, 
female versus female and male. And of course, works use much more male than, than female. I, I know the reason for that is the images, um, as we, we do all of our photography in-house, our creative team is incredible. And some of the most stunning images that we come up with end up being some of the fashion pieces. So we we have work, mm. uh, work, Western fashion, just country email segments that we have different creative going out to. But when you put them all kind of on a table and look at them, we, we do have a bias towards, you know, stunning imagery. And more times than not, that mm. ends up being something that falls into that fashion segment. All right. So you've been CDO what, just over four years there haven't been, an, I wouldn't call them an ordinary four years, you know, been part of the COVID era. But thinking when you arrived to today, how has the digital business changed in your mind over that time? You know, often people talk about an accelerant that COVID was and the way we work is different. How do you, how do you think of that? that time that's just passed over well, the past there, couple There's of a couple of things that happened. One, from when I came into Boot Barn, we, you know, Boot Barn was the smaller uh, of our two big e-commerce sites. We had, we had bought a business called Shepler's um, that has been around since the 1890s um, and was the biggest e-commerce player in the Western wear business. And so Shepler's was a bigger e-commerce business with a lower margin rate. And, um, as, as I joined the company, we really shifted to making Boot Barn our digital flagship and a full price business that, that was the digital version of what we had in our store. So uh, the exact same promotions as we run in stores, very similar margin profile to what we have in stores. And so the biggest shift internally for us has been the move from Shepler's, which is still a great and, and very successful online business. The stores have been transformed into Boot Barn stores and making Boot Barn our digital flagship and our biggest e-com business. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure and hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss another great episode. We'll be right back with our interview with John Hazen, Chief Digital Officer at Boot Barn, right after this message. After two years of unprecedented growth, some think e-commerce has hit its peak. So what comes next? As businesses look to enter the next era of e-commerce growth, Comics serves as a guide to get them there. Led by best-in-class technology providers across the commerce ecosystem, including Bloomreach, Miracle, Cinch, ShipBob, and Avalara, Comex offers exclusive research, benchmarking, data, and more, empowering businesses to deliver a commerce experience that drives measurable revenue growth. Learn more at commerceexperience.com. That's commerceexperience.com. Um, as it relates to COVID and beyond that, you know, one of, one of the things I always say is I'm going to be long retired and perhaps long gone by the time uh, e-commerce overtakes stores for Boot Barn. We are a store's first business and will continue to be a store's first business for many, many years. We've recently updated Wall Street that we think we can open upwards of, of 900 stores. Um, so um, we used to say 600 stores. We've now said publicly 900 stores. We're at 316 stores today. We're going to open between 40 and 50 stores um, this year, this fiscal year. And so if you play that forward, we've got many, many years of growth ahead of us on the brick and mortar side, um, which is a more profitable channel for us and virtually everybody. Um, so we're not at that point in the runway or even close to it where, you know, e-com even growing nicely double digits is going to catch up penetration wise to the stores or even get much beyond the 15% penetration we're at now. If you kind of add in a new store doing a few million bucks a year and you're open 40 or 50 of those a year, um, it just doesn't pencil out. So we're going to be, you know, 85% stores business for 
for the foreseeable future, which it, which is going to be a long period. And so a lot of the focus for us is on digital and stores. Um, I spend about half my time running the e-commerce P&L and running the online business. And I spend about half my time working on digital initiatives in store and improving the in-store experience because, you know, stores aren't just um, an afterthought or a slowly declining business or, um, you know, a, a stable business, but not where the growth is going to come from like you see at other retailers. For us, the biggest growth initiative we have are our stores. So kind of speaking of stores uh, and and having the benefit of, of knowing you for a little while and been at a few dinners with you, I know you've told this story that I feel like it has to get a, a bigger audience about something you did related to buy online, pick up in the store. And to me, there's lessons of leadership, resourcefulness, um, innovation, all. I, this is why I love this story. So I'm just going to, without giving any more away, let you, I think you know what I'm talking about. I'll let you, you share Absolutely. It. So um, we were getting ready um, as COVID occurred and we were putting some of our Omni initiatives in. Bopis was up and running, but it wasn't fully deployed to the stores. Of course, COVID is an accelerant and, and Bopis was out the door and fully deployed in, you know, three weeks into COVID. Um, and, um, one of the challenges we had was how do you notify a store that they have an action to take, that they've got a same day delivery that they need to prepare or, you know, which has a, maybe a little bit higher of an urgency than an in-store fulfillment order or a BOPIS order. How do they know they need to take action on an Omni order? And so I walked around a couple of malls here in Southern California, the Irvine Spectrum, and ironically, the Westminster Mall near my house. Um, not the greatest mall, um, but, but. Um, walked around both of those uh, malls and kind of asked store associates at stores like Zoomies and PacSun, uh, walked into a gap, asked different stores, how do you guys know when you have an order that needs to be picked, packed and shipped? Most of them said they had a portal that they constantly refreshed and checked for any new orders. Uh, I heard from one retailer that said, you know, the phone will ring and it'll be an automated mesh message that says, hey, you need to you need to take action on an order. But then they were struggling because they didn't know who had picked up the phone and who had taken the action. And then a young man on my team by the name of Justin Hanley, and full credit to him, uh, I take zero credit for this, came up with the idea of us developing and building and 3D printing our own IoT Internet of Things devices that would visually notify the store. And so what we uh, put together was a device that we called Annie, uh, like Annie Oakley. So it's a 3D printed device that listens in the cloud. Um, It runs a, a little Raspberry Pi inside of it. And it has an LED light on it um, that's inside the device, and it will light up different colors based on how many orders need to be actioned on at the store. So each store, 315 Mm. stores, has two of these devices in them, one at front of house, one at back of house. Um, The first 300 we soldered and built in-house here, um, assembled here, and, uh, you know, put together our own Annie light, as we call it. And we have this IoT solution deployed to all of our stores, and that's how they know they have a same-day delivery order, an in-store fulfillment order, or a buy-online pickup uh, in-store order that needs to be actioned upon um, visually just by looking over and taking a peek at the light and seeing how many dots are lit up on there. So it was kind of a wild idea. We said, let's build a couple. And, and, you know, I, you know, I love the saying from Ed Catmull from Pixar. I'm a, I'm a big Pixar fan. Um, it's better to correct mistakes than try to prevent them. So I said, what the hell, let's build a few of these and see what happens. And lo and behold, we've got a, uh, in-house, uh, IOT device that is critical for all of our omni-channel operations. 
let's uh, t- change course or tack a little bit and talk about career advice. So, uh, very successful career. As you reflect back and even ahead, is there anything you would have done different or advice that perhaps uh, you said, boy, if, if, if I knew then what I know now kind of stuff or best advice you recall receiving? Talk about, uh, talk about that as part of your Absolutely. journey. Absolutely. So one of, the, one of the things that um, I spent most of my career on the brand side. So I was with uh, Hurley, O'Neill, True Religion, Fox Racing, uh, and and in in the apparel and fashion space, on the brand side, we focus. Of course, there's financial acumen, but we focus so much more on the brand building, the marketing, the creative, the design process. Um, and I say this to my boss, our CEO, uh, and our COO all the time, who've been amazing partners and taught me so much. When I came to Boot Barn, we're truly a retailer. You know, we've got folks that came from Federated and made department stores. The the financial acumen at a true retailer, not a brand, was so much stronger, right? I generally didn't talk in single basis points uh, ever in my life when I was referring to gross margin, right? Mm-hmm. We we do that here, right? It, we we are much more we have a much more financial discipline, for lack of a better term, than on the brand side. And I think part of it, that is on the brand side, you already had you always had one more place you could get rid of product. That was the retailer, right? You could always call up Ross or TJ Maxx or or dump it right. somewhere. And uh, so I got to tell you, when I came into Boot Barn, and I've said this to to my boss, I felt a little dumb, right? I think the one place I'm, you know, technically, I, I, of course, I'm I'm great digitally, I'm great marketing, brand creative, very comfortable all the time. But sitting in the first couple of months of the Monday meetings at at a true retailer, not a brand, I got to tell you, I was a little nervous. It was not, you know, I was a little out of my comfort zone. And if I could go back in time, and I've said this to my son, I'd spend more time paying attention in some of my finance classes. I would probably dive deeper into some of that earlier in my career, be able to run through a PL back and forth with my eyes closed because it did not come naturally, um, to me at least, coming from the brand side. It was, it was marketing, creative, uh, digital, and, and then, of course, I grew up as a technologist, so, so I, can lean, I always lean back on the technology side. But I think that financial acumen piece um, you know, w- was a little bit of a shock to me coming here and working for a true retailer, and mm-hmm. I wish I was better at it earlier in my career. Let's narrow that advice lens, so to speak, a little bit and just talk about digital executives kind of early in their career, their first 10 years. So let's assume the same applies that, you know, let's make sure you have that kind of financial acumen. Is there anything else you would, would advise the listeners about their careers early in their in their, in their digital Absolutely. career? Journey? I mean, it, uh, I'll start with, with saying I teach um, at uh, Orange Coast College. I teach an e-commerce class and I've done it for about seven years now. Um, teach usually two semesters. COVID's been a little bumpy, but usually t- teach both the spring and fall semester. Have about five students who are now all working here at Boot Barn. So it's kind of a feeder program for, for Boot Barn in, in everything from the creative side to digital marketing to working in email marketing. So we, we've got a wide variety of students that have, have come up and, and started their career in marketing or digital um, so I'm talking to students constantly about this sort of stuff. And, and a couple of things I would absolutely um, say, one may be a little more controversial than the other, but uh, never say no, right? Even if you can't do it, um, if someone wants you to, you know, going back to my Bob Hurley story, I had no idea what I was doing when it came to digital. He said, hey, you want to get into e-commerce? Can you help us build this thing? Your answer should always be yes and try and figure it out. 
Um, you know, you want to take those opportunities when they show up. That's when the good stuff happens. When someone turns and says, hey, we need help with this. You want to get involved. Um, so don't say no. Don't, you know, take a risk. And even if you don't know how to do it, try to figure out how to solve that problem, right? That may not work in aerospace or architecture if you're building buildings, right? So don't take that forward. To, <laughs> but in digital, the beauty is we can always correct our mistakes or mostly correct our mistakes, right? That, that's what I love about digital. You can move quickly in most things and take a little more risk than you would in something like aerospace. The second thing I'd say, and this this may tick a couple of people off along the way, but um, you know, I, I do say when you're young in your career post-COVID and in this kind of more work from home environment, you should be in the office. You know, people use the term proximity bias as a negative thing. I don't think it's a negative thing. I think, you know, you know, my boss, Jim Conroy, says the term, it's, it's like hanging around the hoop. He plays basketball and he goes, if you hang around the hoop, you're going to get shots, right? You're going to get some rebounds and you're going to get some shots. And so especially when you're younger, and I, I would argue all the way through, we are mostly back in the office. We are virtually 100% back in the office here at Boot Barn. But I think about a young person starting their career, the first two, three years of their career in any industry, digital, investment, banking, uh, accounting, you're going to learn from, from, from just listening from the person in the cubicle across from you. Suddenly someone's going to be in a panic because some project's going to need extra hands you know, for whatever task. And they're going to go, you want to give us a hand? You want to help us out? That kind of stuff happens in person, right? I'm not going to get on teams and go, God, I need someone to help me. We're all of a sudden got to get 100 new styles up tomorrow because we're launching XYZ and we didn't know about it. I'm not going to turn and go through my team's directory and try and find someone. I'm going to walk out the door of my office, look around and go, hey, can you work late tonight and help me with this? That, that's what happens. And I, I, maybe I'm old fashioned, uh, but I still think that's what's going to continue to happen. I think that's what people's initial reaction to a mini crisis will be is to look around for people who can help nearby. And those are the people who are going to get the chances. So if you're young and you may not want to hear it, I think you should get yourselves into an office. Well, it seems like those two pieces of advice go together yeah. nicely. If you're around more, there's going to be more opportunities to say yes uh, Absolutely. to things. So, um, all right. So we're going to make one final transition uh, in this conversation, and, and that is to look forward a little bit. And um, you've been around a while, you've seen a lot, you have this uh, technology background. I'm interested to hear, you know, what retail technologies do you think are potential game changers? Is it IoT? Is it uh, AI? Is it the metaverse? Nope. I cringe saying that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, no, like, what do you, what do you, what gets you excited? Like, what do you, um, feel like uh, you think if, if retailers were to lean in a whole lot more in you know a particular area, there's going to be a really nice payoff. So I, I, we'll just address the metaverse because because we have to. It, it is um, when I was at Nike, we built product and the start of a store in Second Life. So I went through this 15 years ago in Second Life. What puzzles me the most about um, Meta's metaverse is it doesn't look much better than Second Life 15 years ago. But I digress, right? Um, yes, and and I have to play around in this. Yeah. I have to stay on top of it, of course. So I've been inside the Vans world and Roblox. I've been in the Forever One, uh, uh, Forever Twenty One store. Um, I was in the the Miller Bar, which was the waiting room for the Foo Fighters concert post Super Bowl in the Meta in Meta Horizons, and. Um, None of it impressed me. All of it has, you know, there were some interesting things that Vans was trying to do. And I, and I love the brand. Forever 21 was was 
quite terrible. Um, the, the meta experiment with Foo Fighters was a, was a complete disaster. I won't bore you with the details. You can look it up. Um, and, and I'm always sitting there going, what, what, is there anything interesting going on in this space? And the one that stood out to me is I walked by my son's room and he, you know, we generally play you know, as a Canadian, we play NHL 22 together and we, we, we play video games together, but he was playing NBA 2K. So he was playing basketball, but I walked by his room and he wasn't playing basketball. He was sitting on courtside at a street court that looked like Venice Beach and with other people, real people, watching other real people play basketball, uh, street, street ball in this video game in NBA 2K. And they're all talking and they're cheering people on and he doesn't know these people. And that was one of those moments where I was like, wow, th- this one, it looks good, right? The graphics are incredible. Two, um, it, it felt like a, 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 a world, a community where people were spending time together. And the one thing it didn't have, and I think this is the biggest issue, is it wasn't virtual reality, right? I think people are so hung up on the VR piece that it and trying to make it work in VR versus work in a video game environment. Um, you know, that was the best example of anything meta I had seen. I, I, I'm not a big believer in it for retailers. I think there's some money to be made. I think there's some NFTs to be had. I think there's some virtual product. I mean, you know, I've got a Minecon cape still from 2016 at the last Minecon. So there are there are use cases. Um, but I think for most retailers, I think it's a it's a distraction today. But you you gotta pay attention to it and stay on top of it. Um I, if I if I look forward for retail, I, I think the future for stores is still bright. I think about um, I, I think about where Lululemon is going. I, I don't know if it's all going to be malls, right? But I think the future of stores is still very bright for many retailers. Maybe not the ones that have maxed out their number of locations because they're mall based and they got to be in a B plus or an A mall. But I do think um, you know places like Best Buy and ourselves and many other retailers. Are, are doing some ma- making shopping in store fun again. Um, you know, even a five below, I was in a five below for the first time a few weeks ago and I was like, they, they've done a really nice job. It's, it's a enjoyable store to shop in. I do think the speed at which IOT is moving uh, is interesting. I think you, you think about things that used to be really expensive, whether it be security cameras or traffic counters or Alexa type devices and how easy it is to build those things today, as we kind of talked about already. I think the future is bright for, for people to do that either themselves or, or do it in a much more low cost way than, than we've done in the past. AI, uh, uh, again, maybe I'm getting old, but, um, you know, I always try and differentiate between AI and machine learning. Machine learning is what you can back into if you had a million people with a million spreadsheets. AI, you know, if you think of the the, the old uh, Chinese game Go, AI is where you're like, I can't figure out how they got to that answer and how they knew that, right? So I don't think there's a lot of AI yet in retail. Um, our, we, we, we generally, and we test it once every quarter, our site managers and site merchandisers usually beat out most of the AI, AI in quotes, driven uh, recommendation engines that we test. We've been neck and neck a few times, and we've even been beaten once or twice. But we're not seeing a world where machine learning-based recommendation engines or AI-based recommendation engines are you know, beating the crap out of my uh, site merchandisers who do it based on intuition and, and what's selling and inventory depth. And, you know, people who buy this really want that. If you buy one fridge, it doesn't mean you need to buy two more fridges, right? It means you probably need a stove. Um, so in the cowboy boot world, that's kind of a funny thing. How many brown boots are you going to recommend to somebody? 
Um, so I, I think AI still has a ways to go. I think point of sale is ripe for disruption in, in our space. I mean, it has been a long time since there's been someone at scale who's really changed point of sale. It still very much runs the way it did 20 years ago. I'm optimistic and a big fan of Shopify. So we'll see how far they can push it. Um, you know, and try and do what Toast and some of the other, some of the other uh, more hospitality-based point-of-sale systems uh, have done. Right? You've seen it change dramatically in um, in in the restaurant business, and it just hasn't happened in retail yet. It's kind of interesting to look at the differences between the two spaces. But mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, from a store's perspective, you know, it, it's hard for a lot of people. People have a lot of stores, and to to you know, we always talk about this. If you replaced every single point-of-sale system in every single store. How many more sales would you actually get? Maybe there's some days where, you know, it could speed up transactions slightly, but it's not like there's going to be a rush of customers that come in because you got a tablet based point of sale system now. So um, I can see why most retailers haven't invested heavily and and maybe why, um, you know, entrepreneurs haven't built that a lot of that next generation point of sale. But I think um, I think stores are the future still. I think e-commerce will continue to grow, but at a slower rate. I think, uh, and I've and I've ranted about this for years. Um, I'm I'm still not a fan of marketplaces, right? I think Amazon is one thing because they are not a retailer; they're a technology company at heart. I think Target and Walmart and Best Buy are trying to be marketplaces. Um, I've, I've always had a disdain for it when when you know you get price gouge. Grandma's getting price gouge for an Xbox One during the holiday season because she doesn't realize it's not really Walmart selling it, but it's a uh, it's somebody outside and an outside third party selling it for twelve hundred dollars. Right. So I've never been a big fan of marketplaces on retail sites. Hmm. Um, I don't know. That's kind of my stream of thought. I'll stop there. All right. Awesome. That was a, <laughs> a, a lot of stuff you covered. So, um, yeah. Just like last thing is um, imagine the chief digital officer role five years from now. You talked about you spend about half of your time running the e-commerce business and half of your time um, thinking about digital in stores um, thinking about the CDO role five years from now, um, how do you see it evolving? Um, do you, do you put it in the, in the, through the lens of, you know, where that may shift? Is it no longer 50, 50 or, um, we often, you know, kind of couch this question in, you know, are you going to be more focused on just pushing levers and dealing with technology? Are you, do you, does it shift more to being creative? Where, where do you see that role going? It's funny. I always, I knew a couple of folks who um, were, were advisors and sort of mentors to me um, when I was very young, who, who were almost, um, they were, they almost felt they, they did, they fell behind when the internet came, right? These were old, old school technologists and the internet and e-commerce threw them for a loop. And then they threw the, it threw their career for a loop. And um, I was just lucky by my age of when I came into technology, right? And uh, th- th- there is a certain amount of luck there. And so I've always thought about, is there going to be a thing that is going to affect me the way the internet did the original kind of IT guys? Mm. And, and, and that's why I've stayed so much on top of NFTs and and uh, and the metaverse. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've you know, I'm on OpenSea. I've got my MetaMask wallet. I, I don't love it, but I'm trying to stay on top of it. I'm always worried there's going to be that thing that that catches me by surprise. So always, always trying to stay ahead of that. Um, I, I think the biggest changes are going to be on the the demand creation side around ad spend. Right, everything that's going on with with privacy and UFIDs. 
Um, and, you know, Apple saying privacy first, but now they want to quadruple the side of their ad business. Is it privacy except when it's them? I think that world of PPC spend and how that evolves is a place that will continue to take more and more of our time for sure. So um, I, I, I've always spent a fair amount of time on it. I'm spending more time on it as those privacy changes happen. And I think um, it's going to get tougher and tougher as we go down that road. So I think that's probably going to be one of the biggest shifts in the next five years is what that looks like from an ad spend and a marketing perspective. And that focus is going to become uh, larger. Well, John, it's been a fantastic conversation. I mean, it's been a wide-ranging kind of, in some ways, masterclass in, in digital, but also just understanding your career journey and your perspectives looking ahead. I love this point about, you know, if I, it, at what point in my career could I be displaced by the next technology? That wave that the three of us, I think, lived through in e-commerce. It was exciting for us, but it wasn't always that exciting for the AS400 totally. operators who were like, you know, having to figure out uh, some cloud-based thing here or there but anyway listen thanks so much for joining it's been a great conversation really appreciate it go oh, Habs yeah. so for the listeners that's uh, the Montreal Canadian so go Habs and uh, thanks again for joining us continued success and have a great Thank rest you. of your day nice talk guys talk soon thanks for tuning into this episode of Conversations with Commerce Next please follow us on Apple Spotify Amazon Music or your favorite podcast platform where we will be sharing career advice and marketing strategies from e-commerce and digital marketing leaders at retailers and direct-to-consumer brands each and every episode. Commerce Next is a community, event series, and conference for marketers at retail and direct-to-consumer brands. Through our online forums, interviews, webinars, summits, and other in-person events, we harness the collective wisdom of our community to help marketers grow their businesses and advance their careers. Join Commerce Next events to meet other industry leaders and learn the latest e-commerce and marketing strategies. You can find upcoming events at commercenext.com. Have a fantastic week, everyone.